from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50, hard cases for your electric guitar for under 80 guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. Hey, everyone. It's me, TV. Just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu mythos. It's books, it's monsters, it's unfortunate human casualties, it's timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hello everyone, it is I, D.B. Spitzer, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos and all of the weird little bits and bobs that are associated with it. Here to my... Virtual right as always, David Heath, Farmer Dave, wearing a very, uh, uh, very fanciful T-shirt today. That's pretty cool, Dave. It's, it's uh, some sort of 
pixie and it's a it's not quite tie-dye but it is it is a, a multicolor ready orangey kind of marbled looking thing i have to say this is my, this is my thrift store my thrift store score yeah yeah no no very very cool very arts and crafts movement uh with the the, the i don't know the, the pixie the fairy or whatnot it's very cool uh I, of course, am wearing just a black t-shirt, medium black t-shirt, because that's what I wear at the office. Um, and pajama bottoms for some reason. <laughs> and flip-flops. So now if you're like, ooh, what's he wearing? You'll know what DB's wearing. Anyway. Um, yeah, so we're... Otherwise. Otherwise, hope you're otherwise. all doing well. Uh, you're all uh, clothed as much as you want to be. Uh, if you're riding the train, flying, listening to us in the car, uh, hunkered down somewhere, listening to us. And uh, this is not a audiobook episode. This is a full-on two- to three-parter episode. Uh, I think we're going to do two long parts. Yeah, two long parts this week. Uh, Dave will be talking about Night Gaunts. And then in the second part, D&D on D&D... These two Ds are going to be talking about the Necronomicon in your role-playing game. Haven't we done this before? Probably. (laughs) Uh, This episode is brought to you by Copper Cow Coffee. Uh, I'm sipping on some uh, Copper Cow cold brew right now because we are recording at 11 a.m. And I have another hour before I stop drinking coffee. And Copper Cow Coffee, you... Uh, can make it as weak or as strong as you want. You are in control of the water. And they have so many just really good flavors, whether it be salt, caramel. I'm drinking the lavender because I do like that kind of, like, lavendery coffee flavor. Anyway, we're not talking about coffee. We're talking so, about... So, 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 Copper Cow. Are you Co- listening, Copper Cow? I got a new, new bottle for you. Ooh. Because you, you can make it as weak as a cat. Or strong as a bull. Oh. Throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, later, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to make some uh, cold brew rosemary coffee, which is one of their new flavors, and I'm excited to try it. Rosemary-flavored coffee. It could be amazing, or it can be awful. I'm not quite sure. I haven't had a bad one yet, so copper cow coffee. I vote amazing. Yeah, and if you're looking for something else that's as black as night... There's these things in the Cthulhu mythos called night gaunts. Yes, night gaunts. So, so, night gaunts are almost, but not quite, a traditional Jew, Judeo-Christian demon. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I mean, when you look at they've got, they're big, they're black, they have horns, they have claws, they have wings. Yeah, yeah. So... Do you know how Lovecraft created Night Gods? He dreamed them up as a child, I believe. Yes, exactly. So, they were a reoccurring night terror. Now, one of the things about Night Gods that I, I always... When I first read it, and I was, you know, probably a punk teenager, Night Gods seemed... The, their, their main offensive was tickling. Mm-hmm. And, and that seemed kind of stupid to me because I was a punk teenager. Sure. But 
you know, I want to kind of think of this. First of all, apparently in the original dreams he had, uh-huh. Lovecraft said that they stabbed at him with a pitchfork. Huh. So that kind of reinforces this five-year-old boy's subconscious connection with demons. Uh-huh. You know, and and the 20s, you know, you watch old 20s, you know, old 30s cartoons and shorts. There is this very sort of the devil as a character. He oh, sure. up and down. Uh, so he definitely, as a child, would have experienced that. You know, even though as a child it was, you know, 1895. But there's still going to be... Uh, Depictions of pictures. devils with pick, pitchforks and such. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, though. As, as a child, tickling is sort of this huge sort of subconscious thing. Yeah. It, it's invasive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no control. They get picked up by the adults. They, the adults literally control their body, what's doing. So that could be a huge sort of psychological thing. Uh-huh. And as I grow older, I discover that the type of relationship that Lovecraft had with his mom. Yeah. And his mom had this fear that, you know, how you have a little kid and you have two adults, one takes a right hand, one takes the left hand, and they walk between it. Uh-huh. His mom literally was afraid that he'd get his arm turned off. So I think there are a lot of maybe unprocessed five-year-old fears in the night gun. Uh, and that's why I think it's kind of relevant to us. Yeah. Because, you know, this taps into something sort of, uh, you know, so first of all, there is sort of this demonic, even, you know, Lovecraft obviously was not a Christian. Uh-huh. But there's something, we all understand the Christian demon tropes. Yeah. We're yeah. all aware of it, the gargoyles. Uh, so we all sort of see this. Uh-huh. Um, so it's there, but it also adds some new things. That they have no face. Yeah. And that's sort of scary, because you can't look at them face to face. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yes, they, and they pick you up. They take you off the ground the same way an eagle or a hawk does like a rabbit. That rabbit, once it's in the air, it's helpless. Yeah. yeah. So this is, so these are, the fact that they use this sort of tickling is not, is not a very, it's not, um, it, it, it's not comical. Yeah. It, it was, and, and I think even in the games and and other writers, that tickling part is downplayed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it is definitely a uh, what do you call it? It's 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 a it's an assault. <laughs> absolutely, especially especially to a, a child, and I think we can all sort of keep that locked in our ears. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. What else so, would he got with uh, well, Night Well, so Night Hunts was also one of the first appearances, and in 1929, uh-huh. it's going to be uh, one of his sons. Okay. Uh, we don't really see a lot of Night Gaunt in his stories, 
It's the room. In the house on a high hill. Yeah. It's connected with no dance. Sure. Now, in fact, we're going to talk a little bit about Nodens next week. Yeah. But there's always this association with Nodens, and then Nodens gets kind of moved from the outer gods, sort of this Dilorthian heresy, is he become, you know, an elder god. Yeah. And which, in Daryl's mind, are the good guys. All right. So we've got these basically demons that are working for the good guy. And when we talk more about Nodens, Nodens really isn't the good guy per se, but he's more understandable. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about him tomorrow, I mean next week. But he, he's, he has... He looks like a human being. Yeah, yeah. He's also, there's mythology around him that survives in the Celtic mythology. <laughs> now, Brian Lumley, he ain't having any of this. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 these, these, these night gods, these are, are too good of bad guys to make them, you know, servitors of... And Lumley is very much, story is... A, his tightest scrolls are very much, and I love the story, but they're very much Dilithian heresy stories. The good gods are fighting the evil gods, and the humans are waiting in the war. Yeah. Enough that he has, you know, Cthulhu's brother fighting leading the good side. <laughs> so he doesn't want to give the night gods to the good guys. Sure. So he creates um, this basically goddess of the, the night gods. Which is uh, Yib Tistel, and again, I'm sure that's mispronounced. Oh, that's how I pronounce it. Okay. Um, which is kind of the, the mother of the night gods, and, and it's the night gods are basically winged xenomorphs mm-hmm. in uh, Alien. But they're not. But yeah. they're kind of close. Then you know, Yib Tistel is the queen xenomorph. <laughs> and so he has this sort of very interesting thing where literally or figuratively she's the mother <laughs> and what most people remember that is that the night gaunts basically suckle off of her but they don't have faces that's it they don't have faces so is it do they de- he, and, and Lumley doesn't go into this he talks about it but he doesn't really tell what's happening so do they develop faces? Do they come to their mother and their faces change? Or is this more of a psychic sort of, or, or is, it, is it energy? Or, or is it a science that we don't know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I just assume that where their face should be, a big hole appears. You know, I, I, and I honestly think, and, and there's a good chance that maybe this is what inspired Geiger. Uh-huh. But I think, I think a xenomorph is a really good representation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but without the eyes or even the mouth, but that, that black armor, I, I think that's the way I imagine that. Okay. I mean, that definitely makes uh, Nightgaunts a little scarier than... 
uh, black rubbery flying things that tickle you without a face. Yeah, especially, <laughs> especially um, to a child. Because when a child, you know, uh, and again, I, I keep focusing on the fact that these were childish creations of uh -huh. Lovecraft. Yeah. But a, a child, you know, they, they take these in. The parent or the adult is mad. They can see on their face they were mad because they ran on the street. There's concern. Mm -hmm. These creatures, you know, children, a lot of their communication is reading faces. Yeah. And they's you can't. That's scary to an adult, but especially to uh, a child. Yeah. Wait, there's more. There's another person who is the master of the night gods. Uh, uh, Randolph Carter? Well, I was thinking of Yamata. Oh, okay. So, Yamata, so, interesting thing. So, night gods appear in the 70s Marvel Conan comics. Oh, okay. Now, they don't appear the way that we've been describing. They're kind of like flying red furry pig bats. All right. So the thing you got to remember is um, that when Roy Thomas was basically told by um, by Stan Lee, you've got to start a new line of comics that's not related to our superhero, uh -huh. and it's got to be an existing. It's got to be an existing um, property. And so it was the Lord of the Rings, Conan, uh, Doc Savage, uh -huh. and I th there's a couple others. I think uh, some 70s uh, sword and sandal stuff. So they had a, um, they basically had a vote. And Conan won way above everything. Got yeah. more votes than almost everybody combined including the Lord of the Rings. Now, mm -hmm. Marvel really kind of wanted Lord of the Rings, but yeah. um, Tolkien's widow just didn't want to play ball. Uh, which sort of worked out because we got this, this wonderful 70s Conan comics. So Stanley makes Roy Thomas in charge. Um, and he knows nothing about the mythos, or Conan, or Robert E. Howard. So, but it's his job. So he starts reading, and um, starts really getting into Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft. And so, he, 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 not, he, he didn't grow up with it. He didn't have this around. So he's creating this from the books in his own mind. And, and a lot of people don't like Roy Thomas's work. I love it. But one of the things that he's going to do is he's going to find these night guns and he's going to use them and he's going to give them to this evil sorceress uh, whose name is Yamatar. And she's sort of the mistress of these uh, of these uh, flying bat demons which are night gods in name only. What it also does is it allows 
the artist to draw these really sort of awesome Conan aerial combat scenes. But, uh, yes, that's another place that we get uh, the night guns. Um, Lumley uses them, Lynn Carter uses them. They really start to get used in um, Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. But, again, they are very separate than the other two sort of winged beings, the Baki and the Migo. That they have wings, uh, they come from space, but that's really about the only similarity. And part of that, Lovecraft left out, because he did, he did they don't appear that much. Uh, uh, Randolph Carter uses them in Dream Quest. Uh, they have their own poem. They're mentioned and connected with Nodens in, you know, the House on the Hill. But it's just not... It left a lot of space so that game designers and later 70s writers could basically build them into their own creatures. Very cool. That's pretty cool, Dave. Night Gaunts... Night Gaunts are pretty cool. And, uh, I mean... As long as they don't tickle you. Yeah, yeah, as long as they don't tickle you. And I was thinking they'd be pretty easy to put into any RPG. Just look for, like, fairly weak flying devils or xenomorphic type stuff or something around that nature. I think would make uh, a pretty interesting, like... Or just, like, yeah, you you take something that already exists and you just give it a new coat of paint and call it something else. And Night Gaunt is a good example of what you could call it flying demon and then add all kinds of weird details to it and bam you got yourself a new thing uh, so yeah uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to be back talking about the book that uh, connects so many things uh, I, I can't even get started on it right now before the break so we'll be back talking about the Necronomicon how to use it in your role playing games and we'll be back in a moment okay this episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. 
And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Again, for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, you can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh... Submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. You're listening to KZOM, only under public radio. year right i mean uh next 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 week right yes okay cool cool uh what do you what what do you got going on at bat squatch well of course we're gonna have the bat squatch kites yeah kites that look like bat squatch festival and the bat squatch meatballs yeah 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 so there will be there will be music at oblivions and i'm i'm really excited yeah you know the the, that'll be the Bat Squatch Parade. Yep, yep. I'm going to do part of that. That's the big plan for me is Bat Squatch Parade. Yeah, so it's a pretty big celebration. Oh, yeah. Oregon. Definitely, definitely. So uh, if you're in the area around Oleander in the week of uh, last last weekend of July is uh, Bat Squatch Festival. So get out there. Uh, show up early, find a place along Main Street. Oblivions has some park, uh, uh, some seating on their ceiling, not ceiling, but roof of the building, so you can sit up there and catch the whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to be being like, hey, everyone, welcome to the parade, like uh, a couple years back. I'm actually going to be in the parade marching for the radio station, so... Yeah, yeah, I think I'm the only person I'm holding a banner. <laughs> so, yeah. You're, you're the only person with the radio station, or are you the only person in the parade? I'm the only person from the radio station in the parade. No one else wanted to do it, so. I'm just Although gonna. We, we have occasionally had parades of one in Oleander. Oh, definitely, definitely. So I think I'm gonna, like, stand really close to, uh, uh, I don't know, like the high school marching band, so everyone will think that the marching band is part of me. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so we've got Necronomicon, and we don't mean the, the, the convention, we're, we're talking about the book. The book? The book. So, so Dave, uh, can you give us a brief history on the Necronomicon? Okay, well, so, and, and we're talking about, so Lovecraft is 
associated, of course, with the Necronomicon. Sure. Well, I mean, he came up with the term. Yeah. Uh, there's some arguments that maybe other people had used it centuries before. It's not really documented. So, so the answer or the question or the statement or the thing that I'm saying, Lovecraft made it. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people. There's a cottage market even. Oh sure. Of real Necronomicon. Uh, the most famous being uh, the Simon Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, maybe we'll talk about on another show. What kind of really skyrocketed, I think, the Necronomicon was the Evil Dead. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that Randy sort of added to the Necronomicon was that it was... Um, it was uh, basically the leather was made out of human skin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lovecraft never says that. In fact, the original writings of Allah has an are scrolls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not until centuries later uh, collected into books. And I believe it was Clark Ashton Smith, though I think it was The Return of the Sorcerer. The closest they come to it is that. Uh, the narrator says it smells like dead bodies. Uh, so I, I, I doubt that's where, um, where, you know, Rami came up with the idea uh, of the skin. But that's where I think most people think of it. They see it in the mind is that, that you know, book with the, the face on it. Aha, uh, yeah, yeah, from Evil but Dead. It, it, exactly. But it, Bound in human of, flesh. It's kind of the ultimate MacGuffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Lovecraft uses it as the ultimate. Because not only, you kind of, sure, I get that it would talk about maybe uh, the Dunwich Horror, things like that. Yeah. But he also uses it as the point of narration for the or the, the a- scientific aliens in Mountains of Madness. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's used kind of like a... Um, Hey, here's something to expect. Here's some unknowable knowledge that humans can't know. But for some reason, uh, this guy... uh, (laughs) This guy knew some things, and he says there might be some stuff up there. Be careful, dudes. And and Lovecraft, you know, in so many words, said, you know, I did not invent the idea of moldy old books anymore. Yeah. And he didn't, but I think he definitely sort of codified it. Oh, sure. And the, and the book that I think most influenced him when he was growing up was A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Yeah, yeah. And so in a lot of ways, especially when we think of its origin, you know, the, uh, Abdul al-Hazarad, the, the Mad Arab, uh, it's very influenced by A Thousand and One, or the concept. Of the thousand and one uh, Arabian Nights. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like people unfortunately treat it like a spell book, when I think it's more of like a collection of information and stories, and maybe you know something written. It's like th- there might be you know pages and diagrams. I mean there are we know that there's pages and diagrams because some copies of the book don't have the diagrams or maps or whatever but it's oh i'm sorry 
Oh, no, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, but yeah, definitely, um, you know, it does have spells, but you're right, it's not a, it's, it's not a grimoire. It's yeah. not a spell book. And, you know, I, I kind of like the idea that it has, like, ancient funer- funerary rites and, uh, you know, like kind of like a rundown of, like, uh, maybe part of it is a bestiary or something like that. But, you know, if you, like, look at stuff that other people in that time period wrote, like, us knowing what we know now and able to use Wikipedia as opposed to uh, the... Providence uh, Public Library. Uh, you know, there's there's a bit of a information gap there, and you know, we, we can figure out how to spell things properly. We can figure out uh, what kind of things would and would not be in a Necronomicon if we look at writings from that era, and that's just not how things were set up. And uh, I mean, then we have to think, Olius Wormus. Uh, who translated the Greek into Latin or something like that. Who is a real person. Yes, yes, who is a real person. Uh, But the, uh, you know, maybe that that version is supposed to, uh, you know, uh, an organization of scrolls and then, like, you know, when when it becomes the actual Necronomicon and not just a collection of scrolls uh, written by Abdul Al-Hazred, so... Yes, and um, one thing that I think is very sort of helpful, and, and I mark some of his other things, uh, is Lovecraft's history of the Necronomicon. Uh-huh. So, uh, I, you know, I I completely think that his family tree of the old god was a joke. Oh, I don't yeah. think it's supposed to, I don't think I don't take it seriously. I don't think anybody meant to take it seriously. It got taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his 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 uh, copy of the history of the Necronomicon, though, is a great tool for writers and GMs. <laughs> and he does that. He adds, you know, Wormus, John D, uh, one of the Gregory Popes. He puts real people connected with the book, as well as fictitious people, and that makes it much more. Uh, it's part of what he used to call the you know the hoax, make people believe that this is real. And it, uh, but from a literary point of view, uh, so it's got an amazing background to me. Oh sure, sure, and I really think probably the best way it can be used in a role-playing game is as a MacGuffin. Like, that's, that's like, such the best use for it. It's, it's the thing that the necromancer hires you to steal, and then you find out that they're a necromancer, and you have to steal it back. And then the necromancer raises an army of the dead, and you have to fight the army of the dead and make sure the, did I just say, did I, did I just recreate, uh, uh, Evil Dead 3 and, <laughs> uh, pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Um, so okay, so you know, it's 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 the MacGuffin, it's the Maltese Falcon, it's the Holy Grail, it's the Ark of the Covenant, it's the Necronomicon. It can be as gory looking, it can you know be a uh, human flesh, uh, 
bound book that stinks of rotten bodies. It can be, I don't know, um, say you're doing a World War II and there's now a German copy of the Necronomicon written in Fraktor, you know, uh, using the Fraktor typeface, the super scary Nazi typeface that, you know, people get in trouble for using because, you know, it's the Nazi typeface. Anyway, uh, you know, just like, like, uh, oh no, this is like super evil now because not only was it translated by German theologians, uh, but also, it's a translated version of the Necronomicon. Fifteen people went crazy translating it, and twelve killed themselves. Anyway, uh, you can do stuff like that. Uh, it, it, what if it's not a book anymore? What if it's a file, and someone's trying to... Yeah. Yeah, what if, what if someone's trying to release it uh, onto the internet or something like that? Uh, what uh, you know, you're doing a early 2000s Delta Green campaign. Uh, someone wants to, someone's trying to release it to LimeWire, and you've got to like, you know, uh, <laughs> pull out the uh, the CD uh, or 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 the uh, the hard drive that it's hooked up to before it slowly downloads all the way to LimeWire, Kazaa, or one of those things. Um, There's a Cthulhu light series, I can't remember what, uh, where um, the book, the cover was taken off, uh and it was rebound with a a, uh, New York City phone book, back in the phone (laughs) book, you know, and and it was being used to to keep a table straight or something. Oh, that's funny. Because people had forgotten what it was. That's funny. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. You know... Uh, and I think we're really, if you're if you're interested in gaming some of that, what comes up being online is the GURPS Cthulhu Punk. Yeah. Uh, I think they have that well, where you you've got this sort of Tron-like virtual reality universe. Yeah. You know, I I did one where it was a um, a cyberpunk. Sure. There was no supernatural, but the mission was basically they were working for Miltech. And Miltech had gotten attacked, and the Miltech's clients got attacked by a cl- uh, bunch of uh, netrunners. Uh-huh. And so they basically had this general contract out for the, the netrunners. Okay. And so uh, they traced one down into Brazil, who was this big, you know, Jorge Lovecraft, who was a big Lovecraft fan. Mm-hmm. So there was no supernatural, but his web construct was all based on you know, Lovecraft and the Necronomicon. So even though there wasn't, so it wasn't like one of those variations uh, where where there were vampires or something, there was in this artificial reality uh, and this virtual reality. Yeah. And so, you know, the sort of, uh, instead of a, a node or whatever to get information, you know, the Necronomicon appears. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. I thought it was more along the lines of, ah, uh, he's attacking us with black ice that looks like, um, uh, night guns. Night guns. Yeah, I was like, what were we talking about earlier? That's right. Yeah. yeah no, I like yeah, that exactly. idea. That's 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 pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, to have your architecture for your, uh, little personal metaverse in a uh, cyberpunk game, whether it be Shadowrun, 
uh, Cthulhu, <laughs> punk, cyberpunk, whatever. But yeah, no, that's that's a pretty cool idea. Um, you know, in a modern campaign, like Delta Green really has you covered. Uh, Gumshoe has some stuff that's really great. I, I'm sure there's a lot of modern campaign systems out there that you can slowly slip the Cthulhu mythos. And what's a better way to introduce the Cthulhu mythos than having people looking for a Necronomicon? But first, you know, maybe, maybe someone sees or hears about like a book called The King in Yellow or something like that. That's always kind of like a nice little peek into the fact that there's something weird going on. But then you have like full on like... I don't know. I, we know that it's over 756 pages because on in the uh, more correct ver I mean, the, Wilbur Whaley says that it's like, oh, uh, the formula on page 756, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't have it in his cop. And, 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 and not in the, not in any of the stories. But Lovecraft, in a note to someone, uh -huh. describes something on page 948. Okay, so we know so, so it's... it's, it's cl close to a thousand pages. At least uh, close to a thousand pages. Um, and it's not described as a small, thick book. So this is a big, heavy tome with a big, heavy leather uh, cover and uh, at least a thousand pages big heavy pages, big heavy cotton pages, if this thing is still around. Uh, books bound, oh, here's, the, here's the thing, the book itself may be magical if it's still around. I mean, we don't know what the pages are made out of, I assume that it's cotton if it's still around, and you know, the leather and all that kind of fun stuff. We still have books uh, as old as uh, Alias Wormus's uh, Necronomicon. I'm trying to remember which never, which Necronomicon is the first bound Necronomicon? First real, which I don't know. I, I think it is maybe the Latin, maybe the, the Spanish. Um, and another thought, and that's something I, so something that definitely I think sort of contributed to this is a real book is Lovecraft's commonplace book. Yeah. Where he would just write things down. And the same sort of concept is in the, the early 20th century, late 19th century, is the family Bible. Uh-huh. So it's not, I mean, the, there may be some value, maybe even historical value in these family Bibles. But why they were so important was people would write in them. Yeah. They would write genealogies. They would write notes. Uh, I have, and it's about 110 years old, is a copy of my mother's uncle or great uncle, a, a copy of Byron poems. Uh -huh. And in between it is this thing, and I can't read it, and, and I'm afraid to sort of touch it, so I have it wrapped up and preserved. Um, writings of what he thought of the poems. Oh. And so, it, it, it's, it, a GM can add something like that. It's, it's maybe not the, maybe not the book that's important. It's what the later generations added. 
And, and I think Lovecraft even mentions like, a, and the the, Whitle- the Watleys, you know, wrote things in the margins. Uh-huh. So that can be sort of the more of the the clue. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we know that multiple copies exist uh, in. Lovecraft's universe, there was uh, one in Buenos Aires uh, that people knew of. Pikmin had a copy. Uh, let's see. Uh, British Museum. Uh, Bibliothèque Nationale. The Woodner uh, Library at Harvard. Miskatonic Universities. And, of course, Miskatonic Universities. And that's one, two, three. Oh, it's, that's, it's like... How many are there supposed to exist? I don't know, but then again, um, Greek printed in text in Italy in the 1500s, and a black letter edition in Germany, for late 1400s. I'm sure there's going to be a few copies. Apparently, it's banned everywhere and burned regularly. Um, but I have a theory. I have a. I have a. Uh, a bit of like heretical thought and I'm kind of not sure if I want to share this or not because I might use it for a project but what if Abdul Al-Hazred and the Al-Zif supposedly written in 700 something in Damascus uh, what if it never really existed what if uh, Pleated the Elder was just taking scrolls from uh, like various uh, Arabic and Judeo-Christian scholars, uh, like like people who shouldn't be messing around with this stuff, and if they, you know, were found messing around with this stuff, it would be kind of heretical to like Christianity or the Catholic Church or. You know, stuff like that. So, uh, you have Oleus uh, translated uh, from Greek to Latin, quote-unquote, but what he's actually doing is taking all of these various scholars and creating a book on this other thing. Anyway. (laughs) Just a heretical theory. (laughs) Kind of like my Cthulhu doesn't really exist. (laughs) And it's in ways it's more the the thought of the book. Yeah. And, and there's some other people who've written sort of in thought in reality and stories. Maybe it's not the Necronomicon. Maybe it's the dark side of the Ashek text. You know, the sort of psychic books that are, have all knowledge. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and maybe it's a physical manifestation. And, and enough that people would say, well, maybe Lovecraft hooked onto the psychic realm and became aware of it through dreams. And uh-huh. I apparently yeah. have a dream on. Uh, but the other part, there's, there's one, there is one copy of the Necronomicon that you didn't mention, which is my favorite. Oh, which one's that? The Golden Goblin Press version. 
Oh, I didn't have that on my list. Golden Goblin. So yeah, so there's no spells in it. Okay, okay. And it's come So, what I honestly think this is based on, and I don't have is the Get Remember in the, the 1910s, 20s, one of the biggest selling books, besides, of course, the Bible, mm -hmm. is going to be, and it actually starts out as like nine books and it's condensed into one, is Fraser's Golden Bough. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I think in the Call of Cthulhu game, you can actually get folklore points and history points by reading it. Okay. Um, but so there's this attempt to take all these nine books and take all the sexy fun stuff uh -huh. and, and condense it into one book. And that's kind of what Golden Goblin Press does. And uh, again, I think it's 1910 or something. Sure. So it's it's kind of like a mythos light book because there's no spells <laughs> and it's only got like a couple points of Cthulhu and all. But you know, if that's the only source, or maybe there's this wannabe cultist, that's all they can get. Yeah. You know. Um, so I, I've always I've always liked that. And then even in some of the modern games, there's the trade paperback version of the Necronomicon. Which is like worth one point through the knowledge, <laughs> yeah. and like three points of occultism, and that is is obviously based on the cybernetic automaton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, so you know, people have this feeling. Again, you know, it's it's a lot of it's playing with your 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 character's expectations. Sure. Well, if I get the Necronomicon, I'm gonna be this powerful wizard. Not if you get the Golden Goblin version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And um, I, 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 I feel like I, I really hope that the game master who gives their players the Necronomicon isn't gonna treat it like a wand of many things or like a recipe book to the universe, because um, it's a mistranslated uh book with all kinds of dubious details and uh, dubious authorship. Um, sure. It's like, I, I, I believe there's some versions where like the spells are actually like gonna hurt you instead of, you know, uh, where the spells are mistranslated and you know, that, that, that may not be the best thing for a summoning spell. <laughs> yeah. Now, and it's rare in this universe and in this reality, but, you know, it might be much more common in a fantasy world. Yeah. You know, we, we, we think of this as a spell book. Sure. But, you know, maybe maybe it's the book where the, you know, the party gets their missions from. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what, what I, honestly, how I like to treat the Necronomicon is... You have to, like, read through whole sections. Like, even, I think, the Call of Cthulhu rules are like this. Yep, it's it's not, like, a recipe. It's not, like, laid out in a way that you just go, oh, okay. I just have to do steps 1 through 12 and make sure I have goat's blood and uh, silver powder, salt, and an iron bar with fresh blood on it, and I'm good. I can talk to Sothogwa for five minutes. 
and I'll need fresh blood if I want to talk for another more minute. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Depo- no. Deposit two pints of virgin blood <laughs> to continue conversation. Oh. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 not like you know, it's it's like the formula on the recipe uh, to make the powder of Ibn Ghazi is like on a page, but it's like how it's set up. I'm sure is like you have to be like read it over and over and over again, write it out, and be like, wait a minute, what are they trying? Okay, now I got to look up the you know old timey equivalent of this measurement. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's very straightforward. I feel like it's written in analogies and, uh, uh, you know, stuff that, like, maybe uh, Al has read or other people didn't get at the time, like, things, like, they didn't understand the concept of a universe and stuff like that even. And, like, uh, scientific thought hadn't gotten to things that they're learning from, like, dark ancient entities about the universe and about like physics and uh just 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 uh cosmology in general and like something that seems like basic to a great old one has to be written down in a formula for humans to be like even like try and understand four-dimensional space or stuff that seems like magic to us that is just like second nature to a mythos creature you know, oh, ab- absolutely. And, and the other thing, say, like the Bible, you know, yes, you know, I, the Bible is, you know, supposed to be sacred text. Sure. But it's also the history of a Bronze Age people. Yeah, it, it does have recipes in it too, but it's not like uh, the recipe for making bread in Ezekiel is not very straightforward, like how we would think of it as a recipe. It's, it's like, someone telling it's it's like an oral tradition recipe that we would look at nowadays and be like what the fa what the how yeah. how much is that where do i even get these ingredients and that's what i think of as the cthulhu mythos is like if you're trying to like read a colonial cookbook and none of it's written out and if or or you you're reading colonial diaries thinking that they're cookbooks and every once in a while you get a little piece of if you know you have to like go through everything and context clues be like oh they're talking about corn here okay okay so i have to soak the corn in lye water okay but <laughs> no exactly and, and you know i i like to use it, you know sort of scientific things oh sure there may be this whole thing about this magic deadly rock that if you touch it'll kill you and oh, sure. blow in the night and it turns out they're talking about uranium yeah 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 or or you could use it uh to uh like uh yithian saw something and they talk about it but abdul al has read uh when he talks to the serpent people or the serpent person uh who was swapped with the yithian and heard about things in the future isn't going to know how to describe, you know, like, uh, World War II <laughs> or, exactly. or atomic bombs or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's it, you got this game of telephone going on, like this ancient, ancient ass game. There's probably stuff from the Book of Ibon in there. There's probably stuff from, like, other ancient tomes, uh, like little bits and pieces of stuff here that 
was picked up and gleaned and, and, and this is kind of like I feel like possibly like not necessarily crib notes for the Cthulhu mythos like so many people treat it but just kind of like um, I don't know history of uh, you know like like the the journal of a guy who in uh, seven whatever AD uh, kept a record of his life and all the things that he found and what he was looking for heretical and whatnot and discoveries that he made like I don't know I mean he may have gone into uh, the Necronomicon with one purpose and left with something completely different. Like maybe he had heard about some wizard that existed in Earth's ancient past. You know, he heard about Hondur or he heard about Ibon and he wanted to like really figure out if this stuff was real, if, if this magic stuff was real, if spell books were real and started going about collecting this stuff. Or if we're going with the heresy, Alias Wormus or other people or all these formas collected, like all these little treaties and, 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 and little uh, formulas and whatnot from all these people who had done these horrendous experiments that maybe, you know, um, are being, you know, shielded from other people, whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, no, I mean, it, it, uh, the way that you set up the Necronomicon can be... I don't know. Um, if you're in a cyberpunk game and you're looking at it on your tablet, oh, wait a minute. If you're playing a modern game and you're looking at it on your tablet, it, it, may, it may be organized a little bit different than if you find uh, a Latin copy uh, or in a, the, I don't know, a Greek copy or something like that. Ooh, what if you found it in Coptic? You find it in Coptic. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you're playing in cyberpunk, and it got translated into city speak. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what I was thinking is, like, it would be strange if you found it in Coptic, but it was uh, clearly using a printing press. <laughs> oh, yeah. Melt people's brains. Um, no, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of potential there. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think the best system to use uh, the Necronomicon in besides the obvious uh, Call of Cthulhu and Cthulhu in the title games? Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes what I would do is I would use the Necronomicon, but I'd give it a different name. Okay. So I'd have a little bit more control over it. Sure. Um, so, other, I mean... Other than that, I mean, the idea of a modern sort of book, uh, one of a, I did like a, or a modern game, I did like a, an old top secret game, and there was, uh, it, the Necronomicon was, you know, a creation of Lovecraft. Sure. But people, there was like a contest, the people writing it, and someone in there had put in a code. Oh. So, you know, if you, it, so it would get to the Russians, they put it in the supercomputer and they look for every 717th letter to spell it out or something. So, I mean, that's one using where he, the Necronomicon is real. And in this case, it was very powerful because this guy had hidden a lot of knowledge, uh, you know, stolen information in it. 
but it's not supernatural. Sure, sure. Um, and, and and so he basically, there was like a contest, and he submitted it, and the Russians were going to break in, and so the, the you know the, this was this was back when there was still the Soviet Union when I wrote this, uh-huh. um, and so the the, um, but they didn't want to tip off that they knew it, so they the team had to break in and figure out which one was which. And, Interesting. I was going to say my uh, favorite way to use it, not in like a game like, you know, the Cthulhu or horror or anything like that. Um, I want to say Dungeons and Dragons, but Dungeons and Dragons is too easy because you have sorcerers and you have monsters and you have spell books. But what if you do it in a cyberpunk campaign and you borrow a little heavily from Snow Queen or Snow Crash? Uh, okay. And you have, like, a digital book, not like a little phrase that if you read it, it does something, but a book that, if you read it, it starts to rewire your brain. While, like, say, you're in uh, the Matrix, you're in the Nexus, you're in cyberspace, you're in whatever you want to call it in your fantasy world, the place where you plug something into your head or, you know... Uh, Bluetooth your brain onto something, whatever it is in your fantasy world, you have a bit of text. And as you read the text, it rewrites your brain. Uh, it's the Necronomicon. Uh, it's the Technonomicon. Uh, but no, no, uh, it's, and you know, it, it, for all these years, people were like, oh, it's this old spell book. And it, everyone else is like, it doesn't do anything. It's not real. Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of stuff that some guy made up in the 20s. And then some guys in the 90s put their name on it and made some money off of it. And then just put a bunch of stuff that they found on the internet on it. Or, you know, a bunch of stuff that they found public domain and then just slapped it in there and then sold it. This isn't real. This isn't anything. Added Lovecraft to Sumerian mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of like, what was it, the Simon Necronomicon or whatever? Yeah. Or, you know, even like maybe like some Levian Satanism thrown in there for good measure. And it's nothing. It's nothing but because of the fact that it carries this harmonic frequency that is older than time itself because um sorry to say maybe the necronomicon oh the necronomicon is real in cyberpunk 2077 cyberpunk 2020 cyberpunk project red or what's that called what what? red okay um so and then it just like starts rewriting people's brains as they read it and as they read it the book wants them to read it more maybe it acts like a drug maybe it rewrites them to be able to cast spells maybe it rewrites them to be able to see in fourth and fifth dimensional space like a Tillinghast resonator uh, maybe it has different properties the further and further you go on and maybe the further and further you go on uh, you become less and less human and not in a cool fun way where you can like walk through walls but like physically like uh i don't know um what's who's the guy the body horror guy uh (laughs) what's that cronenberg cronenberg yeah yeah maybe you start to cronenberg a bit and yeah no i mean that's 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 kind of like 
And maybe maybe it doesn't happen to the main character. Maybe it, it's happening to people they know. Maybe it's happening to their their club. Maybe it's happening to like a friend who's in another gang. Uh, maybe it's happening uh, like all over your city, and no one knows why. Um, even though I, instead of a teleporter with the fly, you yeah, know, it's it's doing the uh, it's the book. Yeah, yeah. It's it's what's making you into a, a a deep one, or maybe it's what's making you into uh, some sort of just otherly thing. <laughs> you know, I think that is a very uh, the idea that it's a catalyst. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe it's a book that you know rewrites your genetics into like making you like the Mego or something. You know. Um, and that's what its whole point was. Like, it doesn't matter what you typed, but as long as it has this, like, fourth-dimensional psychic presence, it's always going to be there. No matter what you do, if you're, like, just recreating kind of, like, a bit of it, it's going to come through in some way. And that's the power of Necronomicon. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like that. And that, that it has this effect on reality. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of like this idea that, you know, that books affect reality, but, you know, by what they're inside, maybe this literally affects reality. Yeah, one thing I've always liked to do with the Necronomicon is make it so that it kills small, small animals, insects, and plants in, like, a 20, 30-foot radius. So... Uh, Henry Armitage occasionally has to sweep up mice. Okay. Or, like, moths drop dead at, like, a certain point. But, you you know, it's like, maybe that's the first mystery you have to find out is, like, hey, Henry, Jill, figure out what's going on with this place. I keep having to pick up. There's, like, things keep dying in this area. It's, like, attracting things and killing them, like, small things. Can, can we do something about this? The bug problem here is crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, a- absolutely. I think that's a little bit of Prince of Darkness that's always rolling around in my brains, all the bugs and that. The bugs. <laughs> all right. Do we have anything else that we want to talk about with the Necronomicon, Dave? I, I think we've done an excellent job today. All right. Hey, if you have yay any... Yay us. Yeah, yay for us. Uh, come see us as... Sasquatch, uh, come and have a beer with us, or me at least, uh, after the uh, parade at Oblivion's. Come see the live music. Stinky Duck is gonna be there. And also, um, be safe. And yeah, there's so many ways you can use the Necronomicon. Write us, tell us your favorite. If you have something that you want us to talk about, if you have a book that you, a project, you a game you want to talk about we are here for you uh contact dave to get on the show if that's what you want to do and if you have any cool stuff contact me pgttcm at gmail.com i occasionally check it and we'll check out what you got to send us all right thank you but so don't, don't send your cool stuff to me yeah yeah i might and, drop it and and don't just message me hey dude and then expect me to pick up the ball, because I don't. I'm sorry. I, I am really sorry. Who People who have, like, just tried to friend me with, hey, dude, 
Um, did I tell people just to message me, hey dude, at some point? Oh, crap. Okay, anyone who I've just, like, ignored, I'm sorry about that, re-message me with the phrase, high fives, I will remember this time. Okay. Everyone, be safe, be cool to each other, um, don't take any wooden nickels, uh, don't take any wooden necronomicons, and uh, be weird and keep it squiggly. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye. That was a good episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that's got a lot of stuff in it. Oh, yeah. No, no. That, 